Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is DTC frozen food with my friend Richard Gray. How's it going, Richard Gray? Oh, everything's great here in New York. Excellent, excellent. So, Richard, please introduce yourself and your company. Well, as you said, Joe, my name's Richard Gray, and my company is Gray Growth Strategies, and we are in business to consult frozen food companies in how to reach consumers nationwide using cold chain logistics. Yep. And since we have DTC in the title, explain what that is. Well, direct-to-consumer is is the preferred channel for many companies in the frozen food business today, and they're, they're not even at retail. Their business right. model is strictly direct-to-consumer. Right. And I think we should uh, point out that sometimes people use e-commerce and direct-to-consumer interchangeably, but we're more and more getting e-commerce as B2B. So I think it's worth noting DTC is direct to consumer, meaning that last mile, sending it directly to houses rather than retail. So Richard, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights. I know you've had a long, successful career, so we can't spend all day on it, but give us some of the career highlights and when you started your company. Well, Joe, I grew up in the suburbs of Manhattan. We call it Queens, New York. And it was, a, it was a very exciting place to grow up. It was the city, but it was a little bit of the suburbs. I went to Forest Hills High School and then on to Boston University School of Management to study marketing and finance and business. Very nice. I started a company in college and healthcare, B2B, <laughs> selling physicians and dentists and veterinarians medical supplies. And I sold that business to um, Henry Schein, a big medical company. And I went on to become president of a Japanese pharmaceutical company where I brought many exciting U.S. products to Japan. Blistec, Polydent. Very nice. Kendall Futuro, Sweden Low, some examples. Did you live over there? Yes, I spent time over there. It was a uh, very difficult for a gaijin, for a foreigner, to succeed there. But it was uh, interesting and uh, culturally very different. Very nice, very nice. So where did you go from there? From there, I got involved in uh, food with Dr. Atkins. And I helped Dr. Atkins grow his meal business, which was a diet meal plan, low carb. And we did frozen, we did refrigerated, we did bars and shakes, and it was uh, quite successful. Oh my God, it's still successful. (laughs) Yes, but um, at that time we were doing hundreds of products. And and it was not just a retail business as it's mostly retail now. Right. So... I got very involved in frozen food meal plans, diet plans, chronic-based condition plans for diabetes or hypertension. And that's where I began to learn how to scale successfully the burgeoning direct-to-consumer market that was developing, say, 10 years ago, starting to 
find its way. So is that why you started your business? Well, exactly, Joe. I couldn't find solutions for the products I was marketing or consulting, and I found that there were not enough third-party logistics companies around the country that could pick and pack and create a customer experience for this burgeoning direct-to-consumer market. Yeah, you know, it just just shipping, it's hard enough, and have actually having it be a nice customer experience. And, you know, I've, I've had food shipped to my house, and there's that thing where you, it's supposed to be frozen or it's supposed to be cold or whatever, and then you get there, and if, if it's soggy or late, and you paid good money for it, probably a lot more money than you'd pay at the grocery store sometimes, and <laughs> it's horrible. I, and, and I can imagine the... The pushback, if it's screwed up, is enormous. So, Joe, you hit it on the head. It's about the cold chain, the integrity of the cold chain. So the product is manufactured or produced, and it goes into a freezer, and then it goes into a frozen reefer truck, and then it goes into a third-party logistics freezer, and then it goes into a box with dry ice or refrigerant and has to last all the way to the person's home and sit on the front porch in the hot sun. And so it is a very punishing cold chain experience direct to consumer. And we work hard in packaging, boxes, insulation, what I would call even product architecture, where you have to architect the box, layer in the refrigerants, make sure the products are tight together. We call it the R factor the refrigerated temperature within the box. Remember, Joe, the FedEx and UPS trucks are not air-conditioned. They can be 120 degrees in the summer, and your product is sitting in there melting. And you're right, Joe. No one wants a slacked-out product. I say we want to ship frozen bricks. Right, right. So let's let's switch gears. We already started talking about but let's switch gears here and talk a little bit about some of the problems that are inherent in the direct-to-consumer for frozen food. So what's like the number one problem that these companies are experiencing? And I, I know you work with a lot of them. So what's like one of the first problems you see? Why do they call Richard, why do they, why do they call gray growth strategies? Well, the first reason they call is they need to understand the P&L of shipping across the country. So the first challenge, the greatest challenge is the last mile the FedEx UPS costs is often 30 to 40% of the total cost of shipping the product. Then the second challenge is the right box insulation and merchandising plan that optimizes the R factor in the cold chain. Right. So, so, and then the, the, the third factor is you must be within one or two day ground of the customer. It is a too expensive to ship air because the although the dry ice sublimates over time, you're charged for the full weight of it. Right. And right. so it's, it's just prohibitively expensive to scale with, with an air freight at all. Yeah. You know, I should I mention this at this time. I think about 18 months ago, somebody reached out to me. And it was funny because I ignored the first few emails. And it was because it was a woman who said she was a Russian supermodel, which is like getting an email from a Nigerian prince, right? You're like, eh, yeah, <laughs> I was born at night, but not last night, right? I was like, no, I'm not going for this. But 
I got more emails. And this young lady said, yeah, I'm a Russian supermodel. She really is. She's on all the covers of the magazines. And she said, I've started a company and I want to ship my frozen yogurt by direct-to-consumer. And I remember looking into it with her and I said, well, I'm sure I can recommend somebody. So we talked a few times. I, I introduced her to a few companies and boy, was it expensive. And you quickly start to realize that's not going to work. And I remember we reached out to you. And I don't know, I don't remember if we ever talked. You might have talked to her. But I remember thinking, you know, this is not going to work. And if you look at, like, you go to Ben and Jerry's website or Salt and Straw, some people who actually ship frozen stuff to homes, they mark up the price really high of the product because what they're trying to do is they're trying to recoup some of the shipping costs because no one wants to buy $30 worth of ice cream and get $60 worth of shipping costs. So so they're take, saying that, no, 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 the, the ice cream now costs, costs 60 So they're and the packaging or the shipping only costs 30 which is still ridiculous. But that's a, a you, you're get, you, you said it right now, P&L. It, it might not even have a good business case. And I don't think that young lady's system, I mean, her, I don't think it was cost effective. Couldn't make it work. Well, Joe, again, you hit it right on the head. If the cost of the product is not high enough, meaning that if you're selling less than $100, $150 worth of product, it doesn't work. It doesn't right. work. And so your merchandising plan has to be based on high-value products. So, for example, expensive seafood, expensive steaks and meats and proteins, subscription-based baby food and dog food, and the smoothies where you're buying the right amount of product in a box is covering those fixed costs and allowing you to scale and, and have a profitable business model. So you, you can't get, you can't do this for the low end. You can't say, Oh, I'd like to have uh, something inexpensive. You, I can't have, you can't say, yeah, I'd like to have fish sticks sent to my house, uh, DTC. It's just too expensive. You don't see lean cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> or any of the CPG companies that have $5 retails and $3 retails at direct-to-consumer, they need to create products for that market or they need to make acquisitions and or incubate companies and make investments, and they're doing that. Yep. So the first first big problem you're seeing is you got to do the profit and loss. So you got to do, do the math to make sure this is even feasible because it doesn't matter if you can get, keep the boxes cold and deliver it on time and keep that whole, the integrity of the cold chain if you're not selling something expensive. And it makes sense. The things I think about when receiving to the house would be, you know, an expensive diet plan. I could see that. I can see I've had steaks delivered to my house. I could see like gourmet stuff. You know, you mentioned the fish. I could see that kind of stuff. I, and, and I know people want to ship pizzas and stuff, but they'd really have to be high-end pizzas or, or a lot of them, right? High-end pizzas. For example, there's a company called Dinopoli that imports them weekly from Italy and sells them direct to consumer at about $15 a pizza. So, you know, six pizzas is not unreasonable plus cost. So, it has to be something highly desirable, something unique, something you can't get at retail. It's an e-commerce only product, and that's what uh, creates some demand. So 
what's the what's the next biggest problem after every every get past the whole can I make money at it? What's the next biggest problem you encounter in your biz? Customer acquisition. It's very expensive to acquire customers and you need reorders in order to have a lifetime value that creates a profit. So you, you can't just be discounting and trying to bring customers in who never order again. You have to be finding the right customer and the one that reorders and refers people and is excited by new things you offer or a customer that's tied into a subscription model where right. they're going to order a period of months. Like for a dog, a dog eats every day. They eat to live. We right. live to eat. <laughs> right. Do you know, that's, that's very interesting you mentioned that because it seems as if a lot of those diet plans are talking about delivering food to your house. And and again, they're trying to say, hey, Joe, you need to lose some weight. We're going to send this to you for the next 16 months while you, you know, and, and, and they would probably right after that, they'd say, this is a way of life. This is the way you will always eat. <laughs> right. right. But you, most people only last about six weeks. So at the end of the day, they have to make their money in the average time period someone stays on a diet. Because right. there's a lot of diet fatigue. But, but it's not just um, other foods, nutraceuticals that need refrigeration are also part of the cold chain. Hey, what, what is a nutraceutical? Nutraceuticals are vitamins, probiotics, over-the-counter things that people can take that need refrigeration. Yep. So getting customers, how do they go about getting them? They just, is that mostly an online thing? Right now, the, there's really only two, three ways to get customers. Google keywords or AdWords, Amazon searches now. 50% of all searches start on Amazon. That's wow. how important Prime and Amazon is. And yep. this is a good time, Joe, to mention that Amazon does not offer companies fulfillment by Amazon for frozen or refrigerated. Right. So it's fulfillment by merchant. And that's where great growth comes in. Often I'm asked to create a Amazon logistics plan where you have to ship nationwide. That's a you must and you must ship on time or you're taken off. So it's a very important part of my business. Yeah. So you said big part of your business is when they sell it on Amazon, they get it fulfilled by a company that you get for them. Exactly. And, well, I should say more than a company because you're really developing a strategy for them at that point. It's a platform. And then we integrate IT, fulfillment locations, pick and pack guides, shipping uh, SOPs, and then, of course, negotiating the best rates for FedEx and UPS. I bring my clients major discounts in that area that have implications on their P&L very positively. Yeah, but so you mentioned the customer acquisition. I can get those through Amazon. I can get some business. I can get Google keywords. What's another way? Facebook. Facebook. Oh, yeah. You have Facebook groups that you can push content to that have an interest. You can be more niche and, 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 and more close to the shore, finding people that have an affinity to what you're trying to sell. Like plant-based foods, Joe. 
plant-based foods are, are big because they're not available at retail everywhere. And so plant-based meals, etc. And so you can find vegans and vegetarians and people looking for sustainable solutions on Facebook. Right. And, and that would probably be, you mentioned, this isn't a lot of the, this food that you might sell DTC. I can't go to my local grocery store and get it because that's specialized, right? Because I'm a vegan or I'm a vegetarian or I have some specialized diet that doesn't make it easy for me to get my food. Absolutely. That is a, the retail channels can only handle so many skews of any product category. So if you're a vegan, you might have a very little section at retail, but online you can find almost everything. Mm -hmm. So we talked about the first thing, which is let's make sure I can even make money at this. The second thing is customer acquisition. How do I get customers? We just talked about that. Google, Amazon, Facebook. And what's the third problem you help customers solve? Keeping customers and getting them to reorder. (laughs) So how do you do that? That's part of the customer experience. So when you're picking and packing these orders, you need to understand that when people open them, or as they say, unbox them, that they have an experience that's positive, that the products are presented nicely in the box, that there's collateral material, maybe a letter from the chef or from the company president, maybe other products and brochures to look at, that the product is pristine, is frozen or at the right temperature, refrigerated, that it doesn't have too much packaging and is sustainable and green in its positioning, that it has warnings about the dry ice. Right. So, and, and so they say the best time to get a reorder, Joe, is when you open the box. So having information in there that piques your interest about what else you can get. Oh, I didn't know you had this and this. So as again, recognizing that this is a first-time customer versus a second-time customer versus a regular customer and rewarding those is all part of the marketing and CRM, customer relationship management. Right. So it's interesting if I was to order, let's just say pizzas, because I, I, I think I've talked about frozen pizzas before on my podcast. Let's just say I order a frozen pizza and I paid a premium price for it. Then, and it's a pizza I don't think I can get elsewhere or I get it elsewhere, right? <laughs> I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait three days for my pizza. I want to get it today if I have the choice. So I bought this high-end pizza. When I open that box, if that box is there and I say, oh, the cardboard's wet, and then you open it up and these are now just a block of soggy pizzas. And I've paid a premium for those. I'd be furious, and there's no way I would buy again, because again, I'm I, you. You said it. I have really high expectations because I'm paying a premium price. The pizza I bought, I saw on Facebook or Amazon, looked beautiful, right? And then I look and go, this, this mush. This is what I paid, you know, a ton of money for. That would feel horrible. So, it has to be. You said pristine, and you said you like to send. You like to ship frozen bricks, right? And I think that would meet customer expectations because they're like, good, I knew it would be frozen. That's what the plant. I can put it in my freezer, and it doesn't seem as if it's been compromised in any way. But if it's not frozen or if it's the bag is ripped or the box is beat up, uh, I won't feel good about it. <laughs> yes, it's a challenge for the customer service of these companies to handle 
the problems you just listed, banged up boxes, uh, wet, slacked out product that, that's uh, not pristinely frozen. And they have to explain to the client that, yes, you can still put it in the freezer. It's not ruined. But it's so expensive to replace a frozen order that it's, it's important to try to solve the problems up front. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. You're competing. You mentioned the customer experience that you want. So you want the, the collateral documentation in there that says, welcome to our meal plan. And they've got all these, I imagine, very pretty, maybe very expensive paperwork in there, right? With the idea that this has to feel like a customer experience because you're potentially competing against a customer experience at your grocery store or specialty seller that has a point of sale stuff that is might be very nice. So you say, if I'm, if I'm selling high-end pizzas, I might be competing against a specialty store that makes me feel like a king when I go over there. Or it could be a, even a grocery store can have a very nice displays these days. So it has to feel right. You mentioned before the price is much higher of products direct to consumer than at retail. And that's, of course, to pay for uh, the 30 plus dollars of pick, pack, shipping, and handling, et cetera. On the other hand, you pay to go to the grocery store, you pay in gas, you pay in time, and frozen right. products don't travel so well, Joe, from the grocery store. The cold right. chain is broken, and often you get home with frozen products that are slacked out, especially right. in the summer if you put it in the back of your car or in the trunk right. that's not air-conditioned. So there's competing experiences, but the frozen experience of the pizzas, for example, can be much better than retail. And those pizzas are going right into the freezer. They're not something you're eating today. They're something you right. bought to eat when you choose as right. opposed to a fresh pizza now. I, I agree with you. It can definitely be nicer, but it ha takes thought. It takes effort. It's it's not something you just go, yeah, I slapped it in a box. We put some refrigerant on there. Close this up. Right. Send it through FedEx. It could. There's a million places along the line where you can lose the integrity of that process. We test, we test in labs, Joe. We, we take it to a lab and they put it in a hot chamber and we put it in there for 72 hours, packed out with sensors so we can track the cold chain within the box. That's how much preparation is required to do this properly. Right. Well, you don't. Richard, one of the things that I've done a lot of work in the past on the Food Safety Modernization Act, we talk about a, a chain of custody in that. And just like we all watch the cop shows at one point or another, and you hear the chain of custody, and if it's ever compromised, man, that case is dead, right? Same thing. If there's ever a time where you say, yeah, that sat on the dock for a few hours, or that sat over here for a few hours, there's, this has to be from, from the time you get the order going till the time it gets to the customer, you have to be able to say, we know exactly every step of the way to the best of our ability. I know we're using third parties to deliver, but we have to manage that process really well. And I think that's what you're talking about. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's today with the IT integration and Shopify and shopping carts, you can do that very well with multiple warehouses and, and see very quickly what was shipped, what wasn't, what's back ordered, and how you can shift warehouses to right. cover orders from other places. Yep. So we talked about the first problem is, does this even 
Does this even make sense financially? Can you afford to ship this product? Secondly, we talked about the second big problem is customer acquisition, meaning how do I go about getting customers in the first place? And then third, we talked about keeping those customers, which is you're keeping them through this customer experience we just described. What's another problem you guys help them solve? Well, as I mentioned, the high cost of FedEx and UPS is a, is is something I have relationships and I'm able to get my clients 60, 70, 80% discounts. So it's a right. very important part of my business practice, helping them achieve lower rates, especially smaller companies that normally would have to pay higher rates. If they can participate in a lower rate pool, then that's an advantage in helping them grow. Yeah. And so also when you're shipping FedEx and UPS, and let's just say this is frozen pizzas, I can't ship them on Friday, can I? No. Well, I used to say no, Joe, but before the pandemic, FedEx and UPS were trying to expand to Saturday and Sunday deliveries. And believe it or not, they do have them in certain zip codes. That being said, right now, most of the shipping is done Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for delivery in one or two days. So that, that is the way it's done, especially subscription services and others. So you're correct. 80, 90% of the shipping is done on Monday, Tuesday, and the rest on Wednesday. So, so why are you having a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Why don't you explain that? Well, if you're only going to deliver in one or two days, you can't do two days on Thursday if you're going to deliver Saturday. Saturday would be a surcharge. And so... It's too expensive. So you try to stay right. within the week days with one right. or two day delivery. And normally, so when you get put those uh, the product into uh, a box and then there's some sort of refrigerant, whether it's uh, packs or dry ice, is your plan that that's going to be good for 72 hours? Yes. So if there's a, a holdup over the weekend and it gets stuck <laughs> and, and they say, we'll deliver that Monday, you're out of luck potentially totally out of luck. In fact, that's a refund. (laughs) (laughs) And a very expensive one at that. And it can be hundreds of orders or thousands. But FedEx has some liability. So when you ship is critically important. You have to understand where I'm shipping to. And it's not, well, I can, it'll get there Friday or Monday. No, that's the difference between success and failure, right? This is. Yes. uh, That's why that Monday and that's why people do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And some for one day ground, they'll do Thursday. Yeah, so it's it's probably not super hard if you're so you're in New York City, big market, and if you say well we're shipping from let's just say New Jersey, easy. I get New York all day, right? There's no problem. It's just when you get to uh the the zip codes with less population that you start to worry, right? Well, you you do have that flyover country part where no one lives, so it's really not that important. (laughs) Let me tell you a good statistic, Joe. Does does that start on the New York border for you? (laughs) If you have a 3PL in New Jersey and you have a 3PL in Reno, you can cover over 90% of the U.S. population in one- and two-day ground. Right. Right. So it's not that hard. Right. 
it, and again, I think it's the the key is just really planning this out. This this has to be planned out more than I mean everything has to be planned out when you're using a third party and when you expect one or two day shipping. But this has the added risk that it's frozen and it won't be frozen and you have a very dissatisfied customer a big refund if it's not there you know it's one thing if i order a sweater and it gets here a day late i, I might not even notice who cares right unless i was going to wear it somewhere but those frozen pizzas or some gourmet food that i expected to eat oh god that that would be a misery well, <laughs> that's why they call it perishables <laughs> right so we talked about these. Is there any? What are the? What's another big problem these guys run into besides the ones we've talked about? Cash flow, because you oh. have to make an investment in the boxes, the insulation, which you have to buy by the truckload, and then you have to have your inventory, and that might be in multiple locations, two or three locations, and that's before you sold anything. Right. So you have a lot of customer acquisition costs. You have a lot of inventory costs. And then the packaging costs, the 3PL's got to be paid. God knows FedEx and UPS want to be paid. <laughs> and they want to be paid weekly, not net 30, because labor's paid weekly, FedEx costs are paid 14 days. So the cash flow must be planned out carefully in order to finance the business or proof of concept or scaling. Yeah. Oh, God. So... Let's switch gears, Richard, and talk about some of the companies. You know, you don't have to mention companies, but the names, but unless you want, <laughs> how you help them. What do you, how, what do you, how do you engage with your clients? As you can imagine, Joe, every client has the unique customized solution that they're looking to achieve. But they all have something in common, which is one, they have to cover the country in one and two day ground in order mm -hmm. to have a model that is profitable. So, the first thing I do is do the P&L and show them where they need to be and what the merchandising plan needs to be in order to have enough cost in the box to the customer to have a viable, profitable business. Then I um, help them put a request for proposal, an RFP to my network of 3PLs, because the 3PLs don't always have room. They're not always interested in certain kinds of business. And, and quite honestly, Joe, they want companies that are financed and that have a plan that can show growth year over year. They don't want to put in small companies that don't grow. Right. And it's just not profitable for them. Right. And I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of e-commerce fulfillment companies people over the last during COVID when we had a big boom in that and what's interesting is I also hear from small a lot of them are startups and they just like the young lady from uh, Russia she's got a nice retail operation down in Florida and I'm sure she'll be successful she's very good at uh, some of what she's doing but still startup phase and making that that shift to DTC is big and it takes a lot of money and I think when what she was struggling with, no one even wants to talk to you. No, it's like, no, thanks. No. I, and, and I imagine they have lots of reasons. They've probably been through a lot along the way where they say, this doesn't work. I don't want to talk to small companies that don't have money because I'm going to end up with their stuff sitting in my shelves and they're out of business. I work with a lot of the venture capital firms. So at the time of funding, I will come in and be able to then take them out into the market 
and successfully place them, integrate them into a national program, and, and that works very well. For companies that are startups but don't have a lot of money, if they hire my firm, I can position them if I believe in their plan that they have a chance to raise money if they're given a proof of concept opportunity. And so some of the 3PLs will work with me on incubating some startups and, and, and companies. Right. right. And I'll throw this out there, Richard. I think they know the answer, but please confirm this. I'm imagining a lot of these guys who come to you are say, well, we're very good at food and we're pretty good at the internet. We're pretty good at marketing and driving traffic. We're good at websites. We're good at marketing. And that's where it ends. And there's no, no, no shame in that. But where this problem gets really big is once they buy it, once they order it. And they know not, a lot of them will know nothing about your, your world. <laughs> yes, it's a perfect example, Joe, of their expertise runs deep in customer acquisition and, and in maybe in product, but they are looking to fill the logistics hole with a third-party consulting firm. It's too expensive for them to hire people to do it because they don't have a full-time situation necessarily. Right, right. I can tell you this is my own experience. I've uh, used third-party logistics companies as a, as a customer, and then I managed a third-party logistics company. I was a general manager, COO. And when somebody came to me and said, could you help me select a 3PL or could you help me improve my 3PL situation? I can do that. And I've done it multiple times. But if you don't get somebody like yourself to come in and help you, the first person you talk to convinces you that they're the right solution and they might not be the right solution. What we're talking about here is very specific skill sets. And if they don't have them, and we all know their sales guys will say, oh, absolutely, we can do that. Sure, we'll throw in some we'll throw in some dry ice. You'll be all set. This is no big problem. And they're looking at their ops guys and going, I hope you can do this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you, you have to find people. A guy like you who says, I know who to talk to. Or you could find yourself in the wrong 3PL. And the wrong 3PL is, is death of the business. That is the risk that putting your product in the wrong place where they can't keep track of your inventory, where they don't do a, a really detailed job of pick and pack. to, and, and a lot of companies don't know how to manage third parties. I do pack out guides and uh, really train the people on the floor to get it right. But it, it, it is such a devastating blow to start with the wrong 3PL. And how do you know they're good or they're not? Right. They're going to give you references of the people that like them. Right. I right. know from having dozens of clients and being plugged into the industry who does a good job because I'm taking people out of 3PLs. They right. come to me right. when they need another one because things right. aren't working. We send trucks right. at night to take people out <laughs> and go to the right. next place. Right. Well, this, is a, this is a very precise part of our business. It, 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 there is no room for, and you know what, I, I always say the same thing when I'm advising people. Those seem like great guys, but I don't want to be their first customer doing this. Right? If I want to I go somewhere where they go, 
we work with all your competitors. We understand this business. Here's our best practices. And, and, and then if you, and, and if you're there and saying, yeah, these guys, I already work with them. That makes a lot more sense than, yeah, let me try and explain my business and you guys try and build a new uh, segment within yours. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not doing it that way. So Rich, I'm going to summarize some of this and then I want you, uh, get some final thoughts from you and put a bow on this bad boy. So we're talking about direct to consumer with frozen. And we talked about the five big problems, and I'm sure there's probably five more you could go into, but the five big ones we talked about was, first off, making sure there's a business case for this, making sure you can actually send this food and make money. Number two was customer acquisition, very difficult, very expensive. And then just as just as difficult as get, getting the customers is keeping them. You have to keep them with that really positive experience. And again, it's a customer experience that has to be really second to none. And again, every time we talk about experience, we talk about Amazon. Amazon does such a good job, we're all spoiled. So you have to meet that level. Next, you talked about transportation. Transportation, a big piece of this cost. So you need someone like yourself to help come in and say, let me help you understand the cost and hopefully reduce those costs. And then last but not least, you talked about cash flow. And and then you talked a little bit, of Richard, about why they need a guide, why they need a guy like you to, say, <laughs> to guide them through this process because you've gone through it a dozen times, probably two dozens, <laughs> dozens of times. So wrap this up. Give us some final thoughts. Joe, I always tell the client, the prospective client, that I can be your insurance policy, that you're not going to go down a dark hole in the wrong 3PL and, and ruin your plan, your customer experience, I try to help companies set up a scalable, profitable platform by integrating 3PLs in the right geographic locations. I can't stress how much the warehouse management software and IT connection is so important to managing the business through dashboards (laughs) and reports and real time, Joe, which is something we didn't have years ago. The ability to see things as they're happening through the day, through the week, etc. I try to help the clients with the merchandising so that the what's going in the box can be packed in a manner. Imagine, Joe, you have things different sizes or different weights, and you've got to meld those into one package with all these variables. There's ways to do these. It's called the box architecture. And you spend a lot of time on this. You'd be surprised that maybe the most time is spent on the box and the insulation and the pack out and the right. cold chain. So I try to support the business plans of direct-to-consumer or omni-channel food companies that have a product line that really requires a direct-to-consumer approach in order to maximize their profitability year over year. Now, many of these companies are going to go to retail and direct-to-consumer is their proof of concept. So really the website becomes a showroom for retailers and buyers, which is fine because it's going to take so many years to cover all the doors to saturate the country. And your DTC gives you that relationship nationwide right from day one. Yep. And, it, you know, this, you mentioned the DTC going retail and retail is obviously going DTC also. And I, I, I almost wonder, like, you know, the, the, the logistics is different, clearly. 
But, you know, we as consumers have just gotten really picky. Like sometimes I want to go to the store and have that experience. Sometimes I want it delivered to my house. They're all going to be critically important. And I think what's really important about all this is really if you don't have the expertise to in this, this side of the business, you need to hire someone like Richard because you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt. So, Richard, I think I know what you're going to say, but who's your sweet spot? Who, who do you serve? I serve the client that is trying to create a scalable direct-to-consumer e-commerce business. It is usually either subscription-based with dog food or pet food or smoothies or um, meal plans, or it's um, high-end proteins or functional foods or exotic foods or local foods that aren't available nationwide. foodies (laughs) the people who serve the foodies is uh go to you so richard what i'll do is i'll put a link to gray growth strategies their website in my in the show notes i'll also put a link to your linkedin profile so we can reach out to you there do you have any other things you want to talk about like conferences you're going to who knows what conferences we're going to these days but are you speaking at conferences or uh having any webinars any other marketing things we should talk about well i have a new white paper on finding a 3pl Frozen, that's on my website and is of great interest. So please, I'll put a link to that. To come download that, and I'm always available for free consultation, and that can be scheduled at any time with me. So it would be a pleasure to reach out to any of your listeners and help them a little bit to to understand what's potential is for their business. Yep. What I'll do is I'll put a I'll put a link to your white paper if you give me that link. And uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time to go through all this. And again, this is a very precise business you just described. This is not your average shipment. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, Joe, for your time today. It was a pleasure uh, exploring this uh, exciting business channel with you. Yep. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.